To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. Hey, remember the Vibe Session? Yeah, about that. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace. In Los Angeles, I'm Kai Rizdal. It is Monday today, 22 January. Good as always to have you along, everybody. All right, so quick. What has been six months away for nigh on two years now and has yet to arrive? If you said recession, thank you very much for being a loyal and attentive listener to this program. I mention it as a way to frame this morning's economic data, the Index of Leading Economic Indicators. Just like it sounds, it's supposed to give us a sense of where the economy might be going, leading versus lagging, right? Anyway, in December, for the 21st straight month, the LEI fell. That is to say, indicated that the economy is going to get worse. 21 months with a recession that's supposed to be just around the corner. Go figure that out. Anyway, elsewhere in the American market economy, shares of chipmaker NVIDIA kept on climbing today. The company makes state-of-the-art processors that power artificial intelligence, for which there seems to be insatiable demand right now. The AI boom has, of course, been transforming the technology sector, and there are plenty of predictions about how it's going to change the rest of the economy, too, as it becomes increasingly capable of doing basically human work. There is some new research out of MIT, though, that suggests that might not happen as much as we fear or hope, depending on where you sit, because paying human workers can actually be cheaper than buying into all that new tech, as Marketplace's Megan McCarty-Carino reports. Take that, robots. We humans might actually be a pretty good deal. The MIT working paper found that it would be cost-effective to use AI in less than a quarter of the work it could technically do. Neil Thompson is the director of the Future Tech Research Project at MIT, which conducted the analysis. Sometimes... You just need such a high quality system. Building an AI system with that level of quality can often be very, very expensive. Now, the kind of AI MIT was looking at wasn't the new buzzy chat GPT. They looked at work that could be done using computer vision systems, which analyze images or video. That work includes everything from reading an x-ray to doing quality control inspections of, say, flour at a bakery. And investing in automation may only make sense for big companies that would use it a lot. We think about self-checkout lines, right? We do see them at Walmart and Costco. We don't see them at the corner store. 
But new generative AI systems like ChatGPT have the potential to be more disruptive, says Anton Koronek, an economist at the University of Virginia. They can perform a wide variety of tasks with much less customization. Businesses don't need to spend a lot on new hardware or software to use a chatbot that's available for free or a low monthly fee. Though they probably will want to customize it to minimize security risks or mistakes, says Emily Rose McRae, an analyst at Gartner. You might get your own version of the tool that you can fine-tune, but that fine-tuning costs money. And the low prices AI companies are charging now aren't coming close to covering their costs, says Dylan Patel at Semi-Analysis. These massive models cost hundreds of millions of dollars to train and billions of dollars to use. He estimates ChatGPT costs OpenAI and Microsoft about $700,000 a day to run, thanks to its extensive computing and server demands. And that's before dealing with all those copyright infringement lawsuits. I'm Megan McCarty-Carino for Marketplace. Oh, yeah, those lawsuits. Wall Street today, those record highs the end of last week. Yeah, new ones today. We'll have the details when we do the numbers. One place we're almost certainly going to be seeing more AI, search engines. Google unveiled the test of its new AI-integrated search engine last year. Before we get to that part of search, though, a digression, if we might, into search engine optimization, SEO, which, as Miyasato wrote in The Verge the other day, is and has changed how the Internet looks and works. Mia, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. SEO is not new, but it is still somehow mysterious, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Give us the layperson's uh, sort of what SEO is definition, would you? Sure. When we search something, there are millions, billions of results. And Google, if we're talking about Google, has mm-hmm. to sort them somehow. In order to do that, it reads all different kinds of things on the web page, the words on the web page, the photos there to try to figure out what is on that page And is it relevant to this thing that we are searching for? So SEO is the practice of trying to optimize your content for search engines. Usually the goal is to, you know, be one of those first results. We should say here, we are talking about Google, right? I mean, they control like 97 percent of the search market. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, the gist of this piece is that SEO and and the way it now uh, has monopolized, and I use that word advisedly, um, how we design for the web is changing the internet itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, something that's been happening for a really long time. The web is at, it. it's at a precipice of change. Google has said that AI will be part of the search experience. And now we're looking back at what the last 25 years of Google dominance has brought us when everyone is making stuff to try to game Google results. And the point, actually, is that so much of what's out there looks alike because we have now fallen into this, air quotes here, templatization that that Google sort of forces people into. Yeah. You might not realize that this is like a Google thing, an SEO thing, but you will know what we're talking about. 
Um, one example is if you've ever Googled like how to change a tire, you click on an article and there are like five different sections. They each have a little subhead on top that says, mm-hmm. what is a tire? <laughs> Why do I need to change a tire? You know, all of these things, they're questions that you might be searching for on Google in the first place is to try to get Google to notice the page. All right. So look, this is a little um, uh, existential, I suppose, but you're the expert in this conversation. <laughs> what, what what does all that mean that we're doing all this for Google and we're adjusting our behavior on this enormous part of all of our lives? One thing I've been thinking about a lot as I was working on this story is what happens to human creativity when there's one company that is mm. pretty much dictating how we find things on the internet. In the piece, I talked to humans who are trying to create work for the internet. They're writing travel guides. They're writing you know, recipe mm. blogs. And there is this tension between what we all want to do on the internet and what makes sense to, because if Google cannot see our work, there's really no point in making it. So what really cool stuff is being made that we will never see because it's not findable in the seo way right, right, right. Uh, that Google wants it. The, the, yeah, no, totally. This is a little bit false romanticism, but it does kind of take the serendipity and, and charm out of things a little bit, right? When you flip through a million websites that all look the same, paragraph length is the same. This is a really weird thing as a writer was like, um, is that some right? SEO pa- paragraph lengths are the same? That's crazy. Yeah, some SEO experts recommend uh, paragraphs be no longer than like, I don't know, six sentences or that sentences not be um, longer than like a certain number of words. It's it's like I'm in AP Lit back (laughs) in high school and I had to write the formulaic essay for my team. Wow. Holy cow. I did a test for this piece where I put um, a previous story that I had written through one of these SEO writing graders and my robot grader did not like my prose. <laughs> it failed me. <laughs> so, so the SEO writer has failed SEO. Uh, that's what I hear you saying, right? Yeah, exactly, oh exactly. I don't think I have a future there. <laughs> yeah, well, fair. Um, so let me let me ask you to crystal ball this thing. And, and as you mentioned a minute ago, Google now moving to AI and AI becoming a bigger part of our, our lives and experiences, especially online. What does SEO look like? in an AI world? Oh my gosh, well, that's the million dollar question. Right now, if you've played around with Google's um, search generative experience, what's interesting to me is that the AI bot, um, that comes before any other links. If that stays there, why would anyone scroll down? Some SEO folks have tried to think about, okay, well, how can we, again, optimize our content now for this new thing? If that is the way we go down that path, we will just see these same problems in a few years. This goal of outsmarting the robot is, (laughs) it's, it's a fool's errand, I think. It's a little bit of folly. Mia Sato at The Verge writing about um, SEO and AI a little bit right there at the end. Mia, thanks a bunch. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Don't need AI for this. If you miss something on the actual broadcast airwaves, we do have a podcast. You know how to do it. You can go to marketplace.org or follow us on the platform of your choice. Either way.
American shoppers, as Kristen Schwab was reminding us last week, are still extremely discount motivated. And what motivates consumers motivates retailers. And thus we have off-price stores like TJ Maxx and Ross, where everything is on sale all the time. And now Nordstrom, which this year is going to expand its Nordstrom Rack brand, trying to get a piece of that discount pie. Marketplace's Elizabeth Troval has that one. Nordstrom Rack straddles two worlds, the discount of a TJ Maxx and the strong Nordstrom brand name. But Mark Cohen with Columbia Business School says it isn't exactly the best of both worlds. I don't believe you can have it both ways. One reason, if your off-price store is too attractive, why would customers go to the more expensive OG store? Because customers love a bargain. You know, the same affluent customers you rely upon in your store seem to also be shopping at the Rack. They are seeing the trade-down effect. Jessica Ramirez is an analyst at Jane Halley & Associates. As consumers are more strapped for, for dollars, they are likely to lean into off-price and explore what the options are there. But buying and filling bargain racks to turn a profit takes a nimble touch that off-price-only stores are better equipped for, Ramirez says. The biggest success at off-price is you don't have to buy six months out predicting what the consumer might be doing. You're able to buy closer to that time. And again, as long as you're staying close to the consumer, you will see success. And Ross and TJ Maxx buy cheap inventory from thousands of vendors. Simeon Siegel is with BMO Capital Markets. The reason that Ross stores and a TJ and a Burlington win is because they get to buy the mistakes of others. They also get to buy product that brands need to move pretty invisibly. But Nordstrom Rack is getting a lot of its stuff from Nordstrom. When a classic department store runs their own version of an off-pricer, it's very hard to not sell their own mistakes. That's why so few department stores have their own off-price brand. I'm Elizabeth Troval from Marketplace. Lots of AI on the program so far today, how it's changing work, how it's changing the way we find stuff online. But there are some things and some jobs that AI hasn't made much of a dent in quite yet. Things that require a human touch, like make an actual physical art. That's the setup for today's installment of our series, My Economy. I'm Stacia Goodman, owner of Stacia Goodman Mosaics, based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I specialize in creating large-scale, site-specific art that goes into public places from airports and universities to hospitals and city buildings. So I use a combination of ceramic tile, glass, and I really love using a little bit of mirror so that people can literally see themselves within the artwork. So I'm creating very large-scale work. So it typically has about a, a six-figure budget. And a lot of people think that all of that is money that I'm pocketing. And that's not true because, of course, I have overhead. I have a studio in my home. I also rent a shop space where I stage my large work. There I have a materials cost, insurances, 
And so, you know, after I take out all of that overhead and the taxes, I'm making enough money to be profitable, but certainly it's nothing that's outrageous that people might think artists make. I've been making mosaics for about 15 years, but the last seven or eight years, I have really specialized in doing very large-scale public artwork. One project for me that really stood out was a large signature lobby piece I did about eight years ago for a children's hospital. And it was a rush project. I was really excited about the end project. We got it installed in the lobby of this hospital. Well, about a month ago, my daughter became a registered nurse, and she now works at that hospital. And it's truly a full circle moment because I made that artwork not only for the patients and their families, but also for the people who work in that building, from the the medical professionals to the maintenance people. So it was very much of a full circle moment for me to see my daughter and her scrubs standing before that artwork. I want to keep doing this work for as long as I can. The way that I see people get excited about the final product that gets installed is so inspiring for me that it makes me want to just keep going and going. And I don't see myself slowing down at all. Stacia Goodman, making mosaics in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Forget 3M, we got 4M right there. Can't do this series without you, you know. Tell us your story, marketplace.org slash myeconomy. Coming up. Sleep is a big issue or a big opportunity. Sorry, no, you got to pick just one. First, though... Let's do the numbers. Dow Industrials up 138 today, almost four tenths percent, 38,001, a new record. The Nasdaq added 49 points, about a third of one percent, closed at 15,360. S&P 500 picked up 10 points, a little over two tenths percent, 48 and 50 there. That is also a record. The FAA has alerted airlines to potential problems with a second model of Boeing's 737 aircraft, the 900ER specifically. It's older than the MAX 9, but can be fitted with door plugs similar to the one that blew out midair earlier this month. Boeing, somehow, basically unchanged. Pilots at Southwest Airlines have overwhelmingly ratified a new contract. Their first since 2020. About 11,000 pilots are going to get an immediate raise of just over 29%. Southwest flew almost six-tenths percent higher. Competitor Spirit Airlines announced it plans to appeal the court ruling that blocked its merger with JetBlue. Spirit ascended almost 19.5%. JetBlue added two-tenths percent. You're listening to Marketplace. Dell Technologies is celebrating 40 years with anniversary savings on their most popular tech, like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Save now at dell.com slash deals. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. 
Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. This is Marketplace. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Exxon is in the news today for taking the unusual step of asking a court to stop the company's own shareholders from forcing a vote on climate-related proposals at the next shareholder meeting. Investors backing one policy or another have been around forever, of course. Most recently, perhaps to get the company in question to adopt ESG goals, environmental, social, and governance. But as we have reported before, there is growing pushback against those policies. Marketplace's Kimberly Adams has more on that. Even when activists do get their votes on efforts to improve environment, social, or governance targets at big corporations, it doesn't always make that much of a difference, says Kai Likafet, who works on shareholder activism at law firm Sidley Austin. For most part, activists have been uh, not very successful in getting uh, shareholders to prove resolutions to disclose emissions or any other focused ESG topics. And that's been the case even before politics turned ESG into the latest cultural fight. But a failed vote, save for a report on gender equity or emissions, doesn't always mean complete failure, says Nick Mazing, director of research at market intelligence firm AlphaSense. Very often what happens is even if a shareholder proposal is defeated by the shareholders, very often what you see is that the company will still issue the report maybe in the following year and so on. The conference board found that shareholder proposals pushing for changes related to ESG have risen sharply and are likely to continue. But lawyer Elizabeth Gonzalez-Sussman says companies and shareholders are paying much more attention to whether proposals will save or make money. She's vice chair of the shareholder activist practice at law firm Olshin from Woloski. I think these ESG elements, when tied to the financial bottom line, tend to still resonate, even in a climate where you may have a lot of pushback on ESG. Which is exactly the climate we're in. In Washington, I'm Kimberly Adams for Marketplace. As we wrap things up and put another show to bed, as it were, and even though it's really none of my business, how'd you sleep last night? About a third of the people in the United States don't get enough sleep on the regular. That is less than seven hours a night, according to the CDC. A study from RAND found that that costs this economy $411 billion a year. Another study, also from RAND, found people are willing to spend up to 14% of their annual income to try to get better sleep. That is A, a business opportunity, and B, a marketplace story if ever I heard one. Marketplace's Samantha Fields has it. Ever since I started reporting this story, I've been getting tons of ads on Instagram for all sorts of sleep-related products. Mattresses, fancy earplugs, several different alarm clocks, and a couple of high-tech sleep masks, just to name a few. As someone who has never been a good sleeper, I am always both skeptical of and tempted by things that promise me better sleep. The industry itself is huge, as you might expect. Tom Ryan is a director of product testing at sleepfoundation.org, a sleep information website. If you just look at sleep aids, and here we're talking about things like supplements you might take to help you get better sleep, maybe even prescription medication to help you get better sleep, that's an $80 billion market. 
and growing. There's also sleep tech, things like smartwatches, apps, and other technology designed to track or improve sleep. That's a $13 billion industry, poised to be about $50 billion by 2035. So you can see that there's a lot of interest and certainly a lot of money flowing towards the sleep economy. From companies and investors, Andrew Cecilla at Alex Partners says, depending on who you are. Sleep is a big issue or a big opportunity. Consumers are eager for a panacea to deal with sleep issues. And the consumer products and retail industry understands this very well and are actively targeting this group. At the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas earlier this month, more than two dozen companies were showing off various kinds of sleep tech. Everything from a wearable sleep mask with LED lights designed to help you shift your sleep schedule to smart beds like this one. You have health sensors integrated into the frame that are going to pick up your heart rate, your respiratory rate. Um, If you're snoring, it's going to capture that. And if the sensors detect that you are snoring... The nice thing is that the head will elevate, so it'll make it easier for you to breathe. Uh, We'll reduce things like sleep apnea, acid reflux, heartburn, things like that. There's also an app that goes with the bed that gives you all your sleep data in the morning. We're seeing this ecosystem really continue to expand. Anna Pioni at McKinsey says in the last five or ten years, and especially since the pandemic, there's been a cultural shift in attitudes towards sleep. It used to be almost like a bragging point to say, I only get four hours of sleep a night or I only need four hours of sleep, where now it's much more common to hear people recognizing the importance of sleep and their overall health. That's something Wendy Troxell, a clinical psychologist and sleep expert at RAND, has been noticing too. There's more and more recognition that sleep is vital for physical and mental health, and for productivity and performance at work. She says there are certain things worth spending money on to improve your sleep environment. Things like having good bedding and a good mattress. These things absolutely matter. But Troxel says beyond that, if you're struggling to fall asleep or stay asleep. My first suggestion is always turn inwards. Focus on your own behaviors first, because that is likely to have the largest impact on your sleep quality. It's not really a problem you can buy your way out of, though that's not likely to stop sleep-deprived people like me from trying. I'm Samantha Fields for Marketplace. This final note on the way out today, getting us back to where we started, the recession that never came. We've had Kyla Scanlon on the program a couple of times. She is, as she calls herself, a finance and economics educator. And she is the one who coined the term vibe session. People just feeling bad. And that was affecting the economy. Well, she's got some news today. This is the vibe expansion, and you can see in more than just this survey. It's coming on the back of strong retail sales, six in 10 workers getting raises larger than inflation. 63% of Americans rating their current financial situation as being good. Home ownership for millennials rising to 55%. An economic secret that nobody talks about is that expectations really matter, how people feel matters. The vibe session and the subsequent vibe expansion really show that. People are the economy and the vibes are good again. Vibe expansion. How to make the rules, Kyla gets to decide. Our daily production team, and they do all the work. Believe me when I tell you that gets this program on the air. Andy Corbin, Lise Hassan, Richard Cunningham, Maria Hollenhorst, Sarah Leeson, Sean McHenry, and Sophia Terenzio. I'm Kai Rizdal. We will see you tomorrow, everybody.
This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.